everybody who finds their faith in the belief of dinosaurs. You are listening to the Dare Daniel Podcast, where we take your most sinister movie dares, watch them, rate them, and discuss them. My name is Corky McDonald, and I smoke where the fuck I want because my life is on fire! And with me, as always, is film critic, a Daniel a Barnes. Hi, everyone. As Corky said, well, I don't think he actually said it. He inferred it, though. On this show, we do your dirty work. The old dirty dogs by watching the most unwatchable movies you can imagine. And then what we do, we review and rate these films on our unique rating system. Let me explain the system in brief. Run-of-the-mill bad film, we rate that a dare. If you got a truly atrocious movie, we'll give that a double dare. And we reserve a reverse dare for a despised movie that is actually pretty good. Today on the podcast, we're reviewing The Velasa Pastor. Brendan Steer's low-budget movie about a priest who turns into a crime-fighting dinosaur. We're also going to read a couple movie dares sent in by our listeners, and we offer some final thoughts on recent episodes. But before we get started, my man Dan, he's going to tell us about the beer we'll be drinking during the show. Corky, on this show, we are drinking, of course, yet another hazy double IPA this time. But uh, this beer is called Time Bender. It's from two breweries who we've had on the show before, Almanac out of Alameda, and then Moonraker out of Auburn, California. What they did is they collaborated together. They took their forces and they brought their forces together with this, with help from the Berkeley Brewing Science, who contributed some kind of new strain of yeast that the scientists are working on down there. Corky, this beer is fantastic. Yes. 8% alcohol. It is a cloudy, pale gold. It's got a fluffy white head. It's the super easy drinking tropical aromas in there. There's pineapple. There's all this like citrus candy kind of stuff in there. Nice body, good flavor, a little bit of bitterness on the end just to, to kind of give it some character there, give it a little bite. But boy, is that an easy drinking beer. This is my new favorite. No kidding. This is a double team DP Deepa, and it's from Almanac and Moonraker. DP Deepa. I love both those breweries and then yeah. getting together and making something like this. Man, they just came together and they did it. Yeah. And they uh, this one, just to look at the can here, you've got your Eldorado Cashmere Mosaic and Centennial Hops. God damn, this is good. But this beer also, it, it kind of gives you a reminder that the hazy beers that are so popular now, they are really good at showcasing hops, of course, but also the yeast, which a lot of times kind of gets lost uh, in the shuffle with like a clear West Coast kind of a IPA. Here, they really give you a chance for the yeast to come out. And the yeast that they came up with at Berkeley Brewing Science pairs very well with the fruity tropical hops that they picked for this beer. So Time Bender, Hazy Double IPA, Almanac and Moonraker, I think that's a buy. Two buys <laughs> from Dan and Corky. <laughs> So right now we're going to get into our contractually obligated segment on Love Actually. In 2020, we are now forced to every episode yeah. discuss a little bit more about this film. It was not on the last episode of uh, Love on a Leash, but that was just with the sound issues. Again, contractually obligated. It will be in every single episode moving forward. We will have observations on Love Actually. And we because promise we, you. Because we had to cut it out of the last one, we might talk about it twice on an upcoming episode. Yeah, we might, <laughs> we might really go deep into it. We might review the Red Nose Day short film that they did like Dude, 15 years later. I was just thinking of that. <laughs> Let's do it. There's a segment in this movie where Sam, who is the stepson of Liam Neeson. Right. He's the little boy whose mother has ties like before the movie even fucking starts before uh the movie starts because the <laughs> he had good sense nobody <laughs> like, you know what i'm out of here fuck this mortal coil 
Liam Neeson channels his uh, quote unquote mourning over his lost wife <laughs> yes. into this budding relationship his son has with this woman he's never or girl he's never talked to. <laughs> what he does is he takes him through like the rom com one oh one. Or not rom-com, but uh, romance, romance 101. Right. He shows him Titanic. Now, this is the one movie we see him showing Sam, right? Yes. They even do the I'm flying bit from standing at the bow of the boat. Absolutely. Right? Which which is kind of bullshit that they, they do that in Titanic. Because when Jack first gets on the boat, he gets up there and says, I'm the king of the world. <laughs> and then he gets up there on this date with the with Rose and yeah. does the same thing. It's like, like, I do this with all the girls. <laughs> yeah, I'm recreating this, my this good my bits. Move. This is my move. <laughs> <laughs> but so we see him showing him Titanic. Then at the end, he does the rom-com thing of all rom-coms, the run to the airport to stop your love from leaving. For sure. <laughs> Grand romantic gesture. Now, seeing that that's the one movie we know Sam <laughs> has been shown by his father, and he says, Liam Neeson's character says, you've seen the movies, kid. You know what to do. <laughs> Sam had every reason to think he was meant to get on that plane and crash that plane. Right, just send it into the icy ocean below, have a moment. Just <laughs> recreate a moment that maybe he crashes into the Atlantic, there's a floating door. For sure. The girl won't let him on. She's like, look, I like to stretch my legs out on this floating door. It's very comfortable here in the ocean. You're going to have to die. I'm not saying that that was Liam Neeson's intent. He didn't just want to get rid of this kid. But you're not saying it was not his intent. I'm we just, can't actually know that. Really. I'm just saying in the inevitable trial that would have occurred sure. afterwards, <laughs> that would have got brought up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and would have been a lightning rod for the media, I'm sure. These movies that uh, these kids are watching these days. <laughs> <laughs> Titanic, is your child next? Just turning them into uh, young terrorists. So, Corky, first of all, Again, we want to apologize to everyone about the sound quality on the episode last week. Hopefully, that will not be an issue moving forward. Hopefully, this sounds crystal clear and beautiful and just like you like it. But for those of you who did actually listen to Love Unleashed, first of all, thank you so much. Second of all, during the show, I talked about how I could find almost no information. There's like no information uh, about the making of this movie or the people who made this movie. It's very hard to find. You have to kind of dig a little bit. You can't do just the cursory research. However, I was able to find some YouTube videos, which I'm going to put on the I put on the post for Love on a Leash, so people can check those out. In it, one of the actors, the actor who plays, I believe his name is Frankie. He's the kind of uh, henpecked uh, suitor, the yeah, the right. mama's boy. Who he was actually also in Fight Club, uh, as we find out. He is the guy in the suit who steps up and wants to be next, and. Uh, Brad Pitt tells him to lose the tie. What? Yes, he has one line in Fight Club. Frankie <laughs> has one line in Fight Club. That's <laughs> amazing. But anyway, he talks a little bit about Fen Chan's directorial style, which he says consisted mainly of being angry at people and yelling at people and telling them when they did something wrong. So she has director's chops. Sure. Oh, is, my God. I mean, that sounds like William Wyler to me. I mean, that is just great directing right there. She's just standing there throwing things at like <laughs> Hitchcock and like, Tippy Hedren. Do it better. Better. So what I do love about the press release and the kind of impression that you get of Fen Chan and the making of this movie from it is I get this envision of like Ed Wood, of like the Tim Burton's Ed Wood, of like someone who is giving all of their passion and all of their heart and everything that they possibly can and their money and their ego and their soul and everything they possibly can to this thing. And they put it out there and it's like, yeah, what'd you think? Oh, worst movie you ever saw. <laughs> My next one will be better. Hello. <laughs> like, you know, like 
it's in the service of the worst possible fucking thing. Yeah. But all of her heart and body and soul is into this movie, for better or worse. Uh, and it's for worse. Yeah. Spoiler alert. But I, that kind of like that Ed Wood style, just the gleam in her eye. Sure. That you imagine of like, I'm making a movie. I'm making cinema. I'm doing this. Yeah. That's one of the things that's kind of like sweet about watching that movie is like, yeah, we could be talking about and discussing right now a movie that in 2045, some young <laughs> filmmaker <laughs> right. says, what was the story of this woman making this movie? Because she had a, a remarkable story coming to America at 45. Yeah. So anyway, that's Love on a Leash. If you haven't uh, heard that episode, check it out. I think it's a really good episode. The sound quality issues notwithstanding, uh, hopefully you enjoyed it as well. Yeah. Again, that episode is so much fun. The sound quality, hopefully you forgive us for that because that's one out of the several dozen that we've done. That's a baddie. One of like 60. But it's so appropriate for that movie. Right? It really, really is. It's just, it, I feel Fenchan just turned into like purple and yellow sparks and just kind of drizzled herself over our soundboard here. That episode was, like- <laughs> was our baby. <laughs> and, and it's not what? perfect. But it's yours now. <laughs> Deal with that shit. I carried it in my lube <laughs> yes. for a while. And now you deal with it, fucker. It's time for dares. It's time for dares. It's Dare Daniel podcast. Listener dares. Nice. That's the Dare Daniel singers. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Corky, that can only mean one thing. It's time yes. right now to read a couple movie dares. These have been sent in by our amazing listeners. They've been hitting us up on the social media that all the young people are really into nowadays. They've been going to what is called a website. They have been load downing, I believe it's called. <laughs> load downing. <laughs> they have some episodes. Downed episodes and listen to them on Pod Eyes. Pod Eyes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's backwards. But yes, you've been going to the social media, Dare Daniel Pod, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You've been going to the website and clicking in the menu, Submit a Dare, and you've been sending us these horrible dares that you're trying to torture us with, or you're sending a movie that you're like, this movie's actually good, and people hate it, and I'm trying to get people to see it. Either way, we're into it, man. Yeah. We're down with your freak. Let's go. First dare comes to us straight out of the wormhole. This one still has some wormhole juice on it. I reached right into that wormhole. I just plucked out whatever was in there. It's got a little bit of that wormhole. You know what I mean? The kind of wormhole juice. I hate when it's rainy in the wormhole (laughs) and all the worms are out on the sidewalk afterwards. (laughs) For those of you that don't know, wormhole dares are dares we get that don't come from listeners. No. They come from actual characters in movies. Well, they are listeners, though, in their fictional universes. Yeah. (laughs) Or outside of their fictional They, They are listeners. You're right. Again. You think about this too much, you will have a brain aneurysm. <laughs> like, honestly, just go with it, baby. They're either characters in the movies or just people that like Vladimir Putin. I mean, we got one from Vladimir Putin is in the wormhole. For sure. But in a way, isn't he a character in Hard to Kill? Spiritually. <laughs> True. He's on every, he's st- stamped onto every frame of that movie, baby. So this one, <laughs> first dare, it comes to us from Charlie. Charlie of Charlie's Angels fame. What up, Charlie's Charlie? just calling us up. It doesn't say which iteration of Charlie it is, but which iteration of Charlie's Angels does this Charlie, Wormhole Charlie, want us to watch? Charlie's Angels 2019, the one that just came out last year, directed by Elizabeth Banks, stars Kristen Stewart, Naomi Scott, 
Ella Belinsky. This movie was like a total bomb. This is the one that everybody asked for, right? Oh, yeah. Everyone wanted Woke Charlie's Angels. Yes. <laughs> that, that appealed to every possible audience. It was like, yeah, Charlie's Angels, but like no sex appeal and make it uh, like bad. You know that TNA show from the uh, 70s? <laughs> yes. Let's just make it an and show. Right? No TNA. There's no T's. There's no A's. There's nothing. Why did Charlie want us to watch Charlie's Angels, Kristen Stewart, point oh. After listening to Films on Trials, Prosecution, and Defense of Charlie's Angels 2000, it's time for you blokes, this side of the pond, blokes, that just means regular dudes, regular guys is the English word, you blokes, this side of the pond, pond, ocean, to suffer through the steaming pile of speakerphone that is Charlie's Angels 2019, a reboot that should have been booted to the curb. Uh, A, Films on Trials podcast, even when we don't plug you, you get plugs on our show. What's up with that? And B, Charlie, you really want to talk to us? Start it with Hello Angels. Right? Yeah. Reach us, baby. IMDb synopsis of Charlie's Angels says, When a young systems engineer blows the whistle on a dangerous technology, Charlie's Angels are called into action, putting their lives on the line to protect us all. To protect us all. Yeah, it looks really uninteresting. The, the trailer looks bad. It doesn't look like any movie anyone would want to see or like or enjoy. So it's perfect for our show. Yeah, exactly. It's a great, fantastic <laughs> choice. Spend moments of our lives watching and digesting and discussing. <laughs> I should say that I recently actually rewatched, because I think they're both on Netflix, the Charlie's Angels from the 2000s with Cameron Diaz, Lucy Liu, Andrew Barrymore, directed by Maestro McGee. Yeah. And those movies are perfectly I remember those enjoyable being fun. films. Yeah, they're yeah. totally fun. I think the sequels actually may be a little just more consistent and better. Well, there you go. Thank you, Charlie. Back into the wormhole with you. Our next dare comes to us from Bill Wolfram, a hilarious expat living in Brazil. He's a great follow on Twitter. This man is hilarious and smart, politically so sharp. Uh, I suggest follow at uh, William Wolfram. And this guy is the reason that we're enormous in brazil oh we rule brazil yeah <laughs> we could we could go down there and get elected we don't easy. even need passports <laughs> right it's like pele then us then like what anderson bears or i don't know like- our brazil references <laughs> are so hard to come by <laughs> he dares us kung pao enter the fist 2002 karate spoof written and directed by and starring steve odekirk why did Bill Wolfram dare us Kung Pao into the fist? He says, Like most movies with fighting babies, one-boobed women, fighting cows, tongues with tongues, and gopher chucks, Kung Pao into the fist is at its heart a coming-of-age romance. I'm sending you this dare because Rotten Tomatoes has this at 15%, and I believe this movie's, actually three movies, perfectly showcases the dichotomy between the two fabulous hosts, the comedic sensibilities of Corky, and the movie purist sensibilities of Daniel. I'm eager to see your opinions on Kung Pao Enter the Fist, a movie my wife and I still quote freely. I like to think that they quote, like th- those were wedding vows. Were <laughs> Kung <laughs> right. Pao Enter the Fist. <laughs> IMDb has this to say about Kung Pao Enter the Fist. A rough around the edges martial arts master seeks revenge for his parents' death. <laughs> now, if you didn't know this was a movie where a man fights a cow, a CGI cow, <laughs> that that synopsis would not let you know anything about what you're going all. into. Have you seen Kung Pao, colon, Enter the Fist? I've never seen it because at the time it came out, I was comedy snob purist sure. guy and wasn't a huge fan of Steve Odekirk, so I didn't check it out. Yeah, well, understandable. Uh, I've seen it. It's totally enjoyable. Hmm. 
thoroughly enjoyable uh, film. I don't know if it's classic. I don't quote it freely. I couldn't possibly quote it at all. But I remember it being amusing for what it was. This is, I think, our second dare of this. So this is kind of one of those movies that people... Is that right? Yeah. It's somewhere lost in the archives. But uh, this is one of those movies that people know is a bad movie for decades. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Bill Wolfram and wife. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Bill and your wife. And thank you for all your support, Bill, on social media and uh, pumping up the Dare Daniel podcast. And now, our feature presentation. The Velasa Pastor from 2019. Why did Jalen, my nephew, dare us to watch this movie? Literally, because I don't have the courage to watch it myself. I am Dimini's synopsis for The Velasa Pastor. After losing his parents, a priest travels to China, where he inherits a mysterious ability that allows him to turn into a dinosaur. At first horrified by this new power, a hooker convinces him to use it to fight crime, period, and ninjas, period. Although the ninjas are the crime. I mean, this, whatever. Wait. Like all MD is. If we're going to pick this apart, he travels to China. No, he travels to a park in upstate New York. <laughs> the China Park. Yes, the Velasa Pastor, not Velasa Raptor. What? Velasa Pastor. The VP. The VP. Velasa Pastor. It was written and directed by Brendan Steer. This is according to an article in Forbes magazine. This is where I got most of the information for this. I will post it on the post for this show. But he was a student at the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan when he got the idea for the film. His phone autocorrected Velasa Raptor to. Two words, Velasa Pastor, to which I can only say, what fucking dictionary is your phone using that it turns a real word into two words, one of which is not a word? <laughs> like, what, what fucking dumbass fucking phone do you have? His phone's like a wannabe scriptwriter. Here's the elevator pitch. <laughs> Velasa Pastor. I know you meant Velociraptor, but listen here. <laughs> so, of course, Brendan Steer was like, holy shit, Velasa Pastor, that's fantastic. So, he was... Making a class project where he was doing like a grindhouse thing. He was making a series of fake trailers. And he included the Velocipasser and he put it on his YouTube page. And it blew up for relative to what his YouTube page usually did. People were like, whoa, Velocipasser. So he was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So he spent most of the 2010s trying to get the movie made through crowdfunding. Failed to do that. Finally, one of his mother's friends financed the film for $35,000. Whoa. Where did that money go? I have no idea. It's not on the screen. The film got some attention in the media when it was released on VOD and home video, largely thanks to its clickbait title, The Velocipastor. It's part of a rich history of high-concept bad movies that are created by combining two words that did not go together and then putting them together. Shark-nado. Bird-demic. Spider-man. The Graduate. That's those crazy word combinations. Schindler's like, List. Like, what? Who? This is wild and weird, wacky uh, word combinations. Brennan Steers says that he was inspired to use practical effects by Guillermo del Toro. And the lack of money. That's the, I think that it's the other reason was the have no money. Oh, shit. <laughs> no, you're good. The movie premiered in spring 2017 at film festivals. It was finally released on home video and VOD August 13, 2019 as a 64 on Rotten Tomatoes. There's only 11 critics' reviews. When Brendan Steer was asked about the film's meaning, he says, quote, 
For years, I was trying to ask myself what I wanted to say about the Catholic Church, etc. In 2016, I thought, why don't I just throw all that away, stop overthinking it, and just make it as this fun movie. The movie is made to be fun, and anyone looking for deeper meaning in the man-turns-into-a-dinosaur genre is probably on a fool's errand. End quote. And if you you need a fool's errand, you've called the right people hey! for that job. Corky. Yes, fool. Corky. We were talking before the show, mm. and you were saying that uh, you are an errand boy sent by grocery clerks to collect a bill, which I thought was fun <laughs> and kind of interesting. Factoid about you. As someone with a lot of errand boy experience, <laughs> the grocery clerks are constantly <laughs> sending you around to collect the bill. Was this a fool's errand? Was it not a fool's errand? Is there meaning in here? And if there is meaning, does that make it better or worse? Or lack of meaning make it better or worse? Talk to me about meaning and the Velocipaster. I, you know, I'm not a great man. I'm not a far out man, man. I'm not any of Dennis Hopper's description of Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now, man. But I do know this. Uh, the Velocipaster uh, had no, no earthly right to be as funny and charming as I thought, as I found it. Oh, wow. You liked it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I had I, no. It's what it is. It uh, makes right. no apologies about it. <laughs> I guess it's lack of apologizing. It flat out embraces it in several moments. Absolutely. I would. I let me make a counter argument. Self consciously shitty. Mm. Still shitty. But okay, agreed. Agreed. Okay, a hundred percent agreed. That's like uh, that's the Kevin Smith argument. I always find <laughs> like people like you know he knows he's just can film two people like, talking. Yeah, we and all know that. It's like great, yeah, like, but it's still this crap. There's like overwhelming evidence. But this also has some good moments in it, uh, mostly performance wise. But I found some of the moments in the um, parodying and scenes creation fun as well yeah i good effort on yeah. some of those yeah. however they just they don't land they don't land because some of them don't i'd say almost all of them don't and it's because of what's the kind of pervasive issue throughout this movie which is just pacing yeah like honestly i for a 70 minute movie that has like no nutritional value whatsoever asks absolutely nothing of its audience Boy, this thing drags. And really? It is way more boring than you should ever be for this kind of movie. And I absolutely appreciate it was made for $35,000 and all of that. But boy, it's just. Oh, yeah. So here's a little free comedy lesson for all the, the kids out there. Gather around, everyone. Uncle Dan is dispensing hey, free comedy Hey, Johnny. Lessons. Get the fellas. Yeah. Get the fellas from the, the run, hideout. Run, run to the old barn. <laughs> Uncle Dan. Uncle Dan's doing comedy tips. Uncle Dan, the comedy legend, has comedy tips for everyone. Well, no, I just say, like, okay, so this the standard bear for, like, zaniness from when we were growing up was, Zazz. like, the Zucker, Abraham yep. Zucker. Absolutely, right? So you think about those movies, and it's like, what are the plots of these movies? Airplane, the plot is... There's an imminent disaster, and they're trying to prevent it. Top secret, you have these two things. One is this rock and roll cliched thing. The other one is this thing about World War II and Great spies. Escape. Absolutely. Then what is Naked Gun? A cop is trying to foil a terrorist plot. These aren't crazy outlandish plots. 
these are the most familiar ordinary plots that you could possibly find. Yeah. What they do is take that ordinariness. You, you have the framework. You got something to build on there. And then you subvert that. Yeah. Right? You mm-hmm. subvert it. This movie, it starts at a 10 and it just keeps trying to go 10 sure. over and over and over again. And it does the same thing with the performances too. Mm-hmm. No one is anyone's foil. Everyone is going full bore the entire way. No one is playing off of anyone. I will I will throw one objection to that in uh, Carol. Carol did not go to 10. Carol was not a parody of a, of herself. In her performance. Yeah. In her character, it absolutely Well, was I mean, come on. All she, all she is is a hooker with a heart of gold. <laughs> She's a lot more than that. She's a prostitute with a pancreas of pewter. <laughs> My point, my point is that it tries, it takes a zany premise and tries to make it zanier, mm-hmm. where it would have been more effective to try to go the other way around. Because basically, you're not satirizing anything except nope. for yourself. Uh, well, so okay, so I also saw your Zucker Abram Zucker argument because I same influences, same thing, and I view it as every generation has their own interpretation of that. So Zucker Abrams Zucker were the '70s, '80s, what we grew up on. You had the Fairley brothers in the 90s. You have Parker and Stone taking it into like 2010s. Then you have someone like this who has though all of those influences. And yes, they're satirizing, but they're also satirizing by way of saying, I don't even need to reference what I'm satirizing. I don't have to give you that base level. And I think it's just kind of the evolution. There were several scenes in this where Zucker, Abraham Zucker, would have had a look to the camera to tip the joke. They would have had to spear hitting the wall in the background to let you know this is a punchline. This movie, I don't think, cares about that. They're going to be absurd, and if you don't get that it's absurd, you just don't get that it's absurd. That's just it. There's nothing to get. You can get that it's absurd. It's obviously absurd. I don't need a spear in the background to tell me it's absurd because the premise is absurd, and then everything that happens around the premise is absurd, and then all of the performances around that premise are absurd. So it's not like, oh, wow, I didn't get that it was supposed to be absurd. I mean, obviously it's absurd. My point is you've started absurd and then you give yourself nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Think about Austin Powers, right? Mm-hmm. In Austin Powers, at least the first film, Dr. Evil and Austin Powers don't spend a lot of time no. on screen together. Yeah, Dr. Evil is playing off of Robert Wagner. Yeah. Uh, Austin Powers is playing off of Elizabeth Hurley and Michael York. You need, <laughs> you, you can't just have comedy everyone, legends. Elizabeth Hurley, and Michael York. You can't just yeah. have everyone being crazy all of the time in every scene. The Marx Brothers need a Margaret Dumont. I, I get, you, I get what you're saying. I, what I'm saying is like I don't think this movie cares about that, and I still found there there was funny in it. I didn't need the balance. It definitely all, does all not care about no. that. It doesn't care about anything. So no, I mean, there you, you go. Hundred percent. This movie is thirty five thousand dollars and shows every penny of that and how much they care about it. My issue again, ultimately, the great sin. I just thought it was boring. The the, the pace is led, the jokes don't land, and it's super. Pa- at seventy minutes, this thing do- drags its feet. Yeah, it's, it's just it's barely a movie. You're it's seventy minutes, and you you make a point about that it drags. There are scenes that I noticed it. That it's definitely padded in several scenes. But I also forget sometimes that I'm writing notes during a movie, so I'm giving myself something to do. For sure. So maybe I don't notice <laughs> I would be uninterested while just watching. Fair enough. Well, let's start it. All right. Right away, first gag, before we even get an image, it says, Rated X. Pause, because of comedy. 
by an all Christian jury, which I took to be a God's Not Dead 2 reference. I think that Mohawk girl is just lives in this universe too. She's <laughs> just like, fuck it. Judging movies. I'm taking it all down. Runaway jury, baby. The only like production company title is Wild Eye Releasing, which is something I shout while orgasming. <laughs> Wild Eye Releasing! I gotta say, it took me a couple scenes to figure out that this movie was a parody. That this movie wasn't taking itself seriously. Right. I thought it was ty- trying to be Love on a Leash, that it's a cheap movie that's uh-huh. really sincere, but it's just shit. It I took mean, me a couple scenes to figure that it, out. It is Love on a Leash in that it's ineptly made. Well, let's just say that opening shot of the pastor giving the sermon, I sat there and I was like, God, after Love on a Leash, it's so good to see a movie, the the, the status and level of Velocipastor <laughs> with a nicely composed <laughs> shot. Absolutely. That lasts all of 15 seconds. You see one person's leg, the one standard who is listening to this fucking guy's sermon. But this is Pastor Doug Jones. He's delivering a sermon to one stand-in. And he finishes, and he goes outside. They're, well, they're obviously shooting in a real church because behind him there's a there's a little board that says hymns one seventy two three ninety six. So that lets you know that the hymns are beating the other hymns three ninety six to one seventy two. I know church. Yeah, but he goes outside. <laughs> this is where our last good, uh, nicely composed shot happens. He goes outside and <laughs> looks off camera and says, "Mom and Dad." <laughs> And they are standing in the... I mean, this... Okay. This is actually a good bit. And there's good bits in this thing. See? But they don't... But they just... They don't... It's not enough to be a good bit. You have to execute the bit, too. And he almost never does. This one, he comes close. The parents are standing next to the car in this very awkward way, where it's just like, why are they just standing right in front of this car? And then you cut back, and then you hear the sound of an explosion. It cuts back, but instead of an explosion, because, of course, the movie has no money, there's nothing there. The car is gone, and it just says, VFX colon car on fire and the priest looks at this and it's like oh my god no and he has a big reaction of like oh that's like there really was a car that blew up if you've ever seen a bootleg copy of a movie you know that that they'll have placeholders like that until they can get the shot done yeah but again i still didn't know if this was (laughs) meant as a joke or if they just really were that cheap So we mean this, I don't know if he has a name, the old priest. I just called him the old priest. Father Stewart. Father Stewart. Father Stewart consoles him by saying, so your parents died. It's what parents do. They die on you. That's when I figured it out. That's a good one. So he advises him, travel. Travel where God can't find you. Yeah, he also implores him to drink some more wine. Kind of rubs his shoulder a little bit. Yeah, gets a little handsy with him. Yeah. So we have this opening credit scene where he's driving. There's like rear projection. It's an homage to Tarantino homages. Exactly. <laughs> yes, we're really down the fucking wormhole <laughs> with this one. But basically what it is, it's the first of about four or five music videos that are in this movie. And it was not surprising to find out that Brendan Steer started out by making music videos. And also you got to get your money somehow when you're making an independent film like this. I mean... You know, local bands. He got bands. it from his mom's friend. <laughs> <laughs> just told you he got thirty five thousand from like a, someone his mom do. Like, hey, like he was mowing lawns and shit. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, title shot, is, like Dan said, it's a long driving montage. Actually, it's not even a montage. It's just him driving, and there's a rear projection yeah, screen. Yeah, exactly. And he looks tough, and there's music. Oh boy, the music was just bad. You thought so? 
I thought there was some good independent stuff. Mm. One song. Oh, and we'll get to it later. We now he's walking in trees, and it just says China in real big font on the on the. Uh, and then he kind of walks through the trees, and he says China. Like this is always this sort of commentary between like the on screen text and the, yeah. But this kind of made me laugh because this is where I was like, okay, this movie knows what it's doing. And it's like yeah, we obviously had no money to go to China. Yeah, we're just gonna say it's China, and it's the exact. I mean, it's obviously they filmed it in the same place that later is supposed to be like a park. Yeah, it's just a park <laughs> somewhere in America. But just the fact that the guy knows China by the trees that he's walking. Right, in, you know what it's I mean? Just China. Yeah. So there's this dying woman who is being chased by ninjas. This all just sudden, just this action kind of burst into it. And she kind of collapses in front of Pastor Doug Jones and gives him this thing that we find out is a claw. And she tells him, she says the words Dragon Warrior. And she tries to tell him to destroy it. But of course, she's you know speaking another language. He doesn't understand. He doesn't understand what's going on. So he gets the claw. She says Dragon Warrior. She dies. Something he cuts his hand and something reacts with the claw and his blood, and then whoop, he passes out. Yeah, and wakes up and he's back in America. It was all a dream, but that, it wasn't all a dream. It was actually a memory. That's about as much explanation as the movie gives you about how <laughs> how the whole thing happens. That's it. And yeah, now we're back to Pastor Stewart and or, or uh, Priest Stewart, and he's sort of he just recaps the previous scene. Consoling him, he's, yeah, it's like, oh, did that happen again? They're like, oh yeah, it did. Let's talk about it. But he, the way he delivers the line, he says, here's food if you're hungry. Like He says like a robot, like somebody who has never actually experienced being hungry. It is funny because a lot of people in this movie just go for broke, but the guy playing Priest Stewart. You mean writer, director, editor's father? Oh, is that right? Yeah, Daniel Steer is his name. Wow. Oh, boy. But we see also. You think he got the part? Because <laughs> he thinks so? think what if he, he made him audition <laughs> he was like i said it by i said it in anonymously though i put a different name on it okay so I, when i went into audition like he did not know it was me and his son is like dad uh you know what dad uh i'm gonna go with mr akavita's our next door neighbor <laughs> son of a bitch akavita's always takes my parts so now we have the priest, the young priest, Doug Jones, wandering through what is apparently the bad area of town. <laughs> yes, exactly. We also meet Carol. Yeah. Carol is the hooker with a heart of gold. I mean, she calls herself a hooker. Yeah. I don't want to say hooker because that seems... Pro- uh, is hooker always pejorative Is that hooker? Is that, is that the right thing to say? People say sex worker like almost exclusively, and if you say anything different, then you're uh, awful. But I don't use hooker as pejorative. I use hooker, prostitute... I'm sex not worker. Using, I don't use anything. If she's a sex you worker, I mean. then is her pimp a sex robber boss. baron? Sex boss. I think he's more of a sex monopolizer, <laughs> robber baron style. Sex Leland Stanford. <laughs> she meets her pimp who is straight out of Taxi Driver. Oh, yeah. Like he was a taxi driver. Like, <laughs> like, he was the taxi driver. And they're like, hey, put on a pimp outfit and act terribly. I got to say, I love this guy. This oh, guy, I really did not love Oh, this I guy. loved him. This is Frankie Mermaid, the Frankie pimp. Frankie Mermaid. Why is he called Mermaid, Dan? Oh, because he's swimming in bitches. Because he's swimming However, in bitches. However, that punchline that I just delivered, it takes him like about a minute and a half to get to that <laughs> fucking punchline. This is how fucking labored this I is. love the commitment to this movie that this guy gave because he's got a nice head of long hair but you can tell he shaved a George Jefferson bald pattern to have a comb over before he pulled. There was one 10 second shot of him pulling off his head to show a comb over. I mean, 
good for you. He he really thought this was gonna be a big break. I thought he was fucking terrible. <laughs> he t- Frankie Mermaid is like boy, like like I say, starts at ten, yeah, and just keeps like, oh yeah. And then guess what, guys? There's no eleven. No, like you can't go to eleven. There's I thought really possible. I thought it was really funny. I have to, yeah. And he tells his he tells uh, Carol. We don't know her name until like halfway through the movie, but he tells her that she's gonna be working the. The park, because that's where the real money is. <laughs> Later on, when you see this park, you're like, "How the fuck does anybody make yeah, money in this park?" This, uh, really rough times, rough times to be a hooker in the city. But yeah, she's attacked by a bad guy stereotype. He has a black ski cap and everything. Yeah, that's but right. the creature comes and kills him. We only see it in these quick shots. It's obviously it looks nothing like a velociraptor. No, right? It's like a giant dinosaur thing but it's it's just it looks shitty obviously it's sound off screen cuts in darkness and you don't see anything the guy's not dead that he is dead it's weird yeah and there's a decapitation and it's like a mannequin head which is another really like look look at how cheap this is yeah like, we'll, but we'll, i thought we'll this was a, a well done shot like it, it cuts back to her she's carrying fear and then the head just comes rolling by her i know they don't have money for it but this was if you had money you could make this a good shot so Pastor Doug wakes up in Carol's bed. Suddenly. Is there any other way to wake up in movies than <gasps> oh sitting God, up never, suddenly? Right? No one ever is like, you know what? I'm going to just lay here for like 15 minutes and just kind of like let Nobody just scratches their nose. <laughs> like, masturbates. <laughs> I think we all lo- just learned a little something about Daniel just now. So this is where the pace of the movie, is, this, it's moved really fast at this yeah. point. This is where things really start to drag for this me. This bit doesn't land. There is this painfully long, you know, kind of sexual misunderstanding scene. It's funny, I was thinking today, because we always talk about, or at least I, because of when we grew up, I always think of these kind of uh, scenes as like the Three's Company scenes. Oh, so my God. Scene he wakes up in the bed, and she goes, oh, my God, last night was amazing. And he's like, what? Oh, that can't happen again. And she's like, what? Uh, you know, there's this whole thing where she's. Was it your first time? It was kind of weird. Oh, and it was, yeah. Oh, it was weird. Why was it weird? Oh, it was just so short. It happened so fast. You know, like all these double entendres and stuff like that. But what's kind of funny is that we think of that as Three's Company, but it's like the oldest fucking bit yeah. in the book. I was just last night watching 30 Seconds Over Tokyo, which uh, was a World War II movie from 1944. And one of the first bits in the movie is Van Johnson and the woman who plays his wife. And he's talking about, we're getting shipped out, but she's talking about, I'm having a baby. And wait, what are you talking about? What am I talking? And they do this whole double entendre thing too. You know, yeah. It's not as smutty, but it's, still, yeah. it's the same basic fucking thing. But while they're doing it, the the shots are kind of zooming in and zooming out and zooming in and zooming out. They're just fucking around. They're just, I, I thought that was funny. Like it, it, it's not taking itself seriously, even when it's doing a bit. This bit didn't land. <laughs> it did not land. But the zooming in, zooming out bit, Kind of made up for it to me. Yeah, well, there's this thing where she reveals, like, you turn into a dinosaur and you killed these people, and it, like, zooms in, and he's like, wait, what? what? Oh, it's, like, preparing to zoom in, but the character's having a second thought about it. Yeah. It's, 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 no, it just doesn't fucking work. I'm sorry. He's, he's naked for some reason. I don't, because later on that doesn't happen. He gets his clothes back every time when he changes. Right. Into the dinosaur yeah. Every back. time. And he's, uh, and then she goes to show him the body because he doesn't believe her. And she, he's wearing one of her dresses. Yeah. But so this is the prime hooking spot. And you look at it, it's like the cliff <laughs> in a forest. <laughs> Who, who's out there? Trolling for uh, prostitutes. So Carol comes up with this plan where she wants him to help people, not by you know administering to their faith and doing things in the community, but by murdering bad guys in mass. Yeah, 
by becoming a dinosaur, which he was like, oh, my God, I'm freaking out. I need to go hear confession right now. So he runs <laughs> away in his little jumper dress to go hear confession. And who comes into the confessional th- booth? Hold on. There's, there's a good – this is where I give Carol some – I think she was the best part of this film. She was, a, she was a competent actress. He finds out she's a sex worker, and he's like, touch thine hand not sinner Jezebel or something like that. She reveals she's only doing sex work because she wants to pay to be a double lawyer medical student. And she says there's surprisingly low demand for hooker doctor lawyers. I didn't deliver it as good as she did. She delivered it really well. (laughs) Then he says, oh my gosh, I'm late for confession and runs off. Uh, And he runs off and who's in the booth? But it's Frankie Mermaid giving it his all. Bless his heart. Frankie Mermaid comes in and confesses to murdering his parents. So yeah, and this killing is what, babies. When you said it wasn't, it didn't go to eleven or it didn't go anymore. <laughs> I was like, no, this scene did because he's like, yeah, he's Frankie Mermaid. He's confessing, but then he just lays on about how he's the one who killed that guy's parents, and he just starts making. Then this other fucking priest runs out like that are his parents and shit. Oh my god, screaming! Pretty good, pretty oh, good. No, not pretty, pretty good. good. Pretty, pretty, pretty terrible. Pretty terrible. Frankie Mermaid, no. But this awakens something in the priest. He boils with rage. A clawed hand rips into the confessional booth, grabs Frankie by the neck, tells him, you know, what the fuck's going on? Why did you kill my parents? Slices Frankie's neck and murders him. And Frankie's dead. And he goes back to Carol. And he's ready to take revenge now. He's ready to go on this planet. He says that killing Frankie felt good. She so, said, training montage. Well, she says, I don't know much about God. And he says, I don't know much about dinosaurs. <laughs> it's delivered straight. It's pretty funny. The, although, I guess the father, Stuart, never said anything about now there being a murdered man in one of the confessional booths. A murdered pimp. Why was the pimp going to confession in the first See, place? Here's the thing. is like, yes. that. Is, I mean, yeah. But now... See, this is a, my my issue with this movie is that there's a built-in argument to any fucking issue you have yeah. with this movie, which is you can't take well, the movie knows that it is, and it's it's trying to do that, it's taking it seriously. You know what? No excuse. Like this is lazy stuff. Like it's lazy. It's not executed well. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like that. That is just such a I, weak argument. I'm it's with just, you. It's a it's an argument that you make because you know this is shit. And you're like, I'll, I'll intentionally make it shit, and then it'll just be shit. I'm with you. The, the Those parts, you can't examine it too deep because of what it is, right? You can't. And even the director, like in the quote you read, builds that in. And that it, that is frustrating for a thing like Love and a Leash, where there's nothing redeemable. This had, to me, redeemable comedy bits. Only comedy bits. Nothing else was redeemable but the comedy bits. And I, and I liked it. That's fair. I just I feel like you created a movie with its own built-in defense mechanism, and now it's it's criticism proof. And like, what are we praising though? That it's lazy and doesn't give a no. shit, and is bad and no. poorly made. And you're not praising that part. You're calling out that part and praising the the, the parts that you you liked. Mm. Uh, but he agrees that he'll only hurt bad people, so he's like Father Dexter. And we have a workout montage of him in short shorts. And it, again, music video about a four minute. Basically music. a music video. Yeah. So he's still a priest by day. <laughs> they're training. They're killing bad guys. He's teaching her the Bible and they're kind of getting close together. So now we go back to the ninjas. <laughs> right. So these are the ninjas who are chasing her. Uh, 
the other woman in China before. Now they're just here, wherever the fuck they there's are. A, there's a tent that looks like an old uh, Civil War battle tent, and then some Chinese writing on a, on a piece of paper <laughs> that lets you know <laughs> that they're totally not shooting at the same park where they were <laughs> two scenes ago. So this dragon warrior, the dragon warrior we've been hearing so much about, is disrupting their operations, whatever that is. We meet the main bad guy, who we find out his name is Wai Chung. And his overacting second-in-command, boy, if you thought Frankie Mermaid was going for broke. This guy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This one's going on his reel. They are drug-dealing ninjas. I mean, if you want to talk a really bad comedy bit, how about the laughing? Yeah. Just the silly laughing and let's silly laugh. I just, yeah, I wrote, this bit doesn't work. Brutal. Booming shot, laugh, doesn't work. And it ends with a gong flourish. Absolutely. But. Next scene had a bit I, f- I laughed at. Crime too. He's re- he's reading a book, like he's reading all about dinosaurs, you know. But he's reading a book that just says Crime Two, like the sequel. <laughs> Father Stewart walks in to confront him because he overlooked during the montage, like he watched the montage being edited, like right. And he says he sees him hanging out with the prostitute with the uh, heart or pancreas of pewter, the <laughs> sex with her worker with the stomach of silver. He sees her hanging out, and he comes in to talk to Father Jones. Father Jones tries to hide that he's reading Crime 2 in a much smaller book, yeah, The yeah. Bible. Mm. Funny bit. They don't call it out. It's, I don't know. I laughed. So, yeah, he tells the old priest that he's a philosopher, pastor, I guess. Uh, oh, yeah, he confesses. short way of saying it. Yeah, this kicks off like this flashback for Doug where he's remembering <laughs> life with his parents and it's just his parents telling him how amazing he is, basically. It's a very sunny, well-lit breakfast. He And it starts with, I had parents once. <laughs> so the priest brings in an exorcist named Ali because we need another guy who's going way too big. That was the priest? That was the uh, exorcist name? Yeah. Oh, I had... I was... <laughs> Being confused on names in this movie is it's great stuff. You're gonna, it's gonna happen. I didn't know that guy's name was White Chi until the end of the movie. <laughs> so this guy, this exorcist coming in, starts another one. I mean, this is a, he, a perfect example of. He looks like a magician in the 2000s. Yes, got, absolutely. He looks like Dave Navarro. <laughs> right. So this is a great example of a scene that is a fantastic idea, and it should be great and it isn't because it just is not it's executed not, very no. well the timing is all off the pacing's all off the editing is all off everything is just all off like you you realize something 10 seconds later than you should you know and i know, and I know hey you're old school rules of comedy you know what these are rules of comedy that are like go back fucking centuries man. yeah okay like there's basic stuff here there's no timing that's funny there's Rhythm no is written essential. word that's funny right the, the scene doesn't work it really doesn't work. But anyway, it's this flashback scene where the priest, the old priest flashes back to Vietnam and meeting someone in Vietnam and that guy dying in front of him and then his wife, Adeline, suddenly being in Vietnam and running towards him but tripping a landmine and blowing up all over him. Yeah. And then it seems like the flashback is just, I mean, which is this flashback already goes on way too long and it's like this non sequitur the whole way. And then it seems like it's going to keep going and then it cuts back to the exorcism. And again, it just fucking just doesn't work. Uh, okay, so I guess we're talking about two different things. Because I thought the scenes with the the guy doing the exorcism weren't funny, but I thought the flashback scenes, I laughed at that. I wanted to laugh because 
it's a great idea. Yeah. It's a great idea, but it just the timing is all off on those scenes. The editing is wrong. It just doesn't cut together in the way that it should. It's the pacing's bad, which is a, an issue through the whole movie. I gotcha. I gotcha. But yeah, we go back to the exorcism. And the exorcism causes Doug to transform, of course, and he rips out Father Stewart's eye <laughs> and runs away. And then Allie, you know, the exorcist, does more of the dumb laughing yeah. thing. Uh, now back to the park and Doug comes across the ninjas in the park and this starts a ninja flashback, which again, this a great idea that kind of continues this everybody bit of like has everyone own. having a flashback and this flashback makes even less sense because someone's just delivering some kind of omen. And- One of the ninjas is Australian for some reason. He's <laughs> giving orders, he, very detailed plans he can't keep track of. <laughs> And he hit one of the throwaway lines during he's like, I'm pretty sure dinosaurs can't look up. <laughs> so Doug the dinosaur easily kills all of these ninjas. That aside, that flashback thing for the, the one ninja, it reminded me a lot of Dragged Across Concrete, where there's that whole little like section that's a side of the woman who's the bank teller. Right. And then she just dies. <laughs> yes, then she just dies. This guy's got this whole, I've got to come back to my love. She said I was going to die this way. And then she just dies. Good Dragged Across Concrete reference. Thank you. So Doug kills all those ninjas, but he feels bad about Father Stewart. But Carol comforts him, and they have sex, which starts another music video. And at this point, I was actually really kind of annoyed because I'm like, oh, my God, we're at seven, this is a 70-minute movie. Can you not get it to 70 goddamn minutes? I mean, it was just... But how often do you get, like, a sex split-screen scene <laughs> set to a band that's trying to be like Yola Tango? I mean, you, you don't get that enough in so movies. Rarely. <laughs> and I know it's not Yola Tango. It's a band called Math the Band. Math the Band. Check them out on whatever uh, music service you listen to. Probably not Spotify. Post-coitus ninjas more ninjas leap through their bedroom window in this very kind of silly way where they're just like they're yeah. already in there doug and carol jump up they fight them off and they realize holy shit we're badasses and they kiss but you can also see in this scene where they're doing the fight with the, the choreography is so bad you see her go back to one for to get ready for the next like moment in the scene so there's a fight happening it the, the focus is supposed to be on him you see her just kneel down after fighting it's like that's how she was supposed to end to, in this badass pose. <laughs> and she just had to get back to that position right. to start the scene back where they kiss. So Father Stewart now has been captured by Wai Chung and his gang. Wai Chung explains their evil plan, which is essentially to spread Christianity <laughs> by getting people hooked on their drugs, then taking the drug away. That will drive people to self-help groups, and the self-help groups will probably be run by Christians, and that will make them Christians, yep. and this starts more of the hilarious evil laughing. That's not you hilarious. you just laugh for like 90 seconds and just make funny faces and laugh. But they're, they're, they're Templar ninjas. They're ninja Freemasons, which I think is just a funny concept in and of itself. <laughs> but yeah, the exposits about the, the cocaine empire, getting people hooked, then just kills them. And <laughs> then kills them, yeah. <laughs> The <laughs> then the map burns for some reason. <laughs> so there's a standoff now with the ninjas. The number two ninja takes off his mask and reveals that he is Doug's brother. So we go back to those flashbacks that he was doing before, and now in the flashbacks where the parents are lavishing all this attention and love on Doug, the brother is just in the background, funny like, bit, being completely ignored. Funny bit. Again, if you're not going for absolute broke in every single scene and can kind of play something without making a funny face, 
in one fucking scene, but this guy can't do it, so yep. he has to mug and he, He's not scene. funny. No. Oh, boy. And he just, just... Like, the less funny someone is in this movie, the more that they are, like, yeah. trying to <laughs> really play to the rafters. The other thing on this is when Doug and Carol are back at her house... There's a voiceover that says, good thing that ninja told us where the camp was before he died. So somebody watched the movie and then realized, like, oh, hey, we never explained how they got there. They give him that voiceover. His brother is also redheaded. So you could say he's a ginger ninja. (laughs) So Doug, they have this whole bit where he's like, I won't bloody the sword of my ancestors by killing you, Doug. And then Doug's like. But, you know, your ancestors are my ancestors. And then he kills him. He uses the force. He makes the yeah, sword Yeah, he float grabs to the him. sword. It's just he can do that now. And that's fine. Carol looks great in a bodysuit. She was the highlight of the film in so many ways. Yes. So <laughs> many ways. I did not mind the bodysuit at all. And I'm sure she didn't mind it, too, just because of the sort of range of motion. Range of motion, comfort. Right? It's uh, clinging to her. You don't, and as you're doing that, you don't want loose kind of clothing yeah. flying all over. Right? It's a cold day. You don't want a lot of layers on. We're all winners here, Quirky. <laughs> That's the real message here. But one of the ninjas slashes Carol with his sword. She's got a big wound on Just her. kills her. Uh, and then she has this death scene that kind of drags on where she just keeps coughing up blood over oh, and over yeah. again. She's a good actress, but this scene went way too long. You can only long. do so much. Yeah. You can only do so much when the director is <laughs> fighting you every step of the way. So we have the final battle where Doug does this really goofy long pause, and the ninjas are like looking at their watches. He's kind of building up for the final battle. And then they have their final battle, and th- this is just like a full-on dude in a dinosaur This is the first. Costume. It's like Alien. It's where like you can only you finally are going to see this thing you've only seen in little tiny shots. You finally get the full shot. <laughs> it looks like those people who come out to dunk a basketball at halftime in the dinosaur costumes, although so or a, chair, a charity event where they're racing in these things. Yeah, it just looks really, really bad, and it's hilarious because like. You can see the head of the person who is supposed to be the dinosaur coming up out of the back of the neck. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Well, you can't see it, but you can be like, well, where is their head? And it's like, well, it's obviously in the back of his neck where there's just like bulges. Yeah. Uh, They can't see. They can't see. They're obviously just running around. Everybody else is doing much work around them. (laughs) The dinosaur is kicking some ass. Wai Chung shoots a Doug with a Dragon Warrior antidote, and it's, yeah, he starts right. mono, villain monologuing <laughs> about how there's this antidote, and they've created it over the centuries, and they've been fighting the Dragon Warriors, and Doug's the last one, and now he's going to kill him, and Doug says, I think my hand is immune, Yeah, and I, he <laughs> suddenly pulls out a claw and rips off Wai Chung's head with his clawed hand, holds it over his head, and screams, and of course, it's again, it's a mannequin head. But he's covered in blood. There's blood everywhere. And he's screaming. And as he's like screaming, because yuck, 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 let's go for it. There's a Gandhi quote about lack of violence. Is that really a Gandhi quote? I probably not. Because the words are really dumb. It's nonsense. It made me it made me think, did Gandhi actually say that? I'm sure words- he didn't, but oh boy. Uh, I, but I did write, I was like, okay, so the movie just broke the rules it just made up. So like <laughs> all of a sudden he can be transformed from a Velocipaster because of this arrow, <laughs> except, oh my gosh, my hand's immune for some reason. <laughs> it's just whatever, right? Yeah. But a- I mean, come on, this movie's showing a man in dinosaur gloves. They're not trying to hide the dino that they're gloves. 
Certainly not. Which again is like the argument is that it's shitty. Yeah. So therefore it's okay. But I'm saying I'm it's trying shitty. to think of a good justification for that. Not <laughs> shitty, but just like, look, come on. Come on. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I totally get it. I just for me. I like finding meaning in things. What's sure. wrong with that? No, that's And this right. movie, not only does it not have meaning, but like there's no targets either. Like, again, what are you satirizing? Because you're not satirizing cliches and tropes because these aren't cliches and tropes that really exist. You know what I mean? You're just satirizing, I guess, bad filmmaking. Some. But this is bad filmmaking yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So you're not really satirizing anything. It's just this, this – self-perpetuating thing where all you're doing is satirizing the concept that you came up with or that your fucking phone came up with yeah so whatever not for me not my type of movie but that is velocipaster corky let's wrap it up any final thoughts on the velocipaster yeah we did gloss over that oh yeah carol's not dead there's a there's a, dino, a doctor scene oh, totally where <laughs> it just says on the screen she's fine and the doctor comes in rifles through an ashtray for some cigarette butts <laughs> and was like yeah actually you want to go see her she's she's fine right now so yeah, and she says she's fine, or he says are you fine, and she says I'm fine, and then the on-screen text says she's fine, and then there's this final scene where it almost seems to kind of set up like let's do sequels. And well, th- this is really funny because he finds out there's a billion dollar bounty on his head, and that uh, <laughs> he says, "Well, I'm gonna." G- <laughs> he says, "Now that I've officially quit the church, which is just a- that to me is a funny line. <laughs> I've officially quit the church. <laughs> some two pubs shit here. We'll do a lot of traveling." China, Europe. No way is this fucking movie going to be shot in China or right, Europe. Yeah. And uh, then he kisses the sex worker at the end, which I've heard costs a lot extra. <laughs> he got the whole girlfriend experience. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so that is Velocipaster. Final thoughts on Velocipaster. Uh, we've we've beat it to death about the, the, the difference in it. Yes, it's it does not pretend to be anything that it's not. It doesn't uh, aspire to anything greater. It's not. And it even to me leans in, which is admirable. I will not take the argument that it's shitty. So you, and it knows it's shitty. So you can't say criticize its shittiness. Yes, you can. You totally can. And there are bits that do not work, but there are a lot of bits that worked and there are a lot of, and this is where it may sound hypocritical, but there are a lot of bits. The bits are based off, acknowledging the shittiness that did work for me yeah i absolutely get that i I guess it just maybe this movie just has absolutely no appeal to me (laughs) whatsoever i guess i've my thought is if you're gonna make a movie that that i mean there is no meaning in this and you're absolutely like brendan steer is right hey right yeah he said he said no meaning i guess for me if you're gonna have something that has no meaning absolutely have some kind of aesthetic value to it and this movie doesn't have that either yeah um I don't know. I guess it's just, it would have been more compelling to me. I'm not saying do a serious version of this. I'm just saying play off of the zaniness of the premise by not being zany in every scene. Mm. Because the, I mean, he obviously just does not have the sort of, at this point in his career, I'm sure he's a young filmmaker still, but at this point in his career, does not have the ability to pull off some of the things you need to do with comedy to make it work. And comedy is all about timing. It's all about editing. It's all about all of these different the acting that are going on. He's obviously at a point that it's not really going to work for him. So leaning into the zaniness of it, I don't know. I guess it's a way to mask how bad it is, but at the same time, it's just it's still bad. Gotcha. So, Corky, let's give our ratings for The Lost Pastor just to remind everybody. 
run-of-the-mill bad film dare, next-level bad, double dare, and a movie you actually liked, reverse dare, quirky thoughts on The Last Pastor. Yeah, I'm definitely going reverse dare on it, cool. and it wasn't. it's not even a hard choice to make. Mm-hmm. I, I liked so much of this that I would say... Uh, check it out. You you could do a lot worse. It re- put me in mind of uh, Hollywood Shuffle or Foot Fist Way, something where a young filmmakers making a low budget, and it does not have the serious tones of like say Hollywood Shuffle, which had a good point, cohesive point to it. But there's great parody. There's good comedy. I think uh, Alyssa Kempinski, she played Carol. She's someone who hopefully I'm hearing more from in the future. She's she was really good. Alyssa Kempinski. Let's hear it. I'm really torn on this one. I'm probably just going to go with a dare, just a run-of-the-mill dare, because I did not despise this movie. And yeah, I want to give it a little break because it is $35,000. And yeah. it, it, like you said, it it doesn't try to do more or less than what it needs to do. It, it's right in that sweet spot. I guess if you think, if you hear this and you're like, wow, yeah, a priest who turns into a, a dinosaur and it's kind of a zany comedy. If that sounds good to you, I don't know, maybe check it out. If that doesn't sound good to you, don't. Well, here, here's the other thing. I did not expect this movie when sure. we got dared this. I did not expect this movie to be like a self-aware movie. Yeah. I don't know. It almost was worse for me uh, for being that. And you bring up Hollywood Shuffle and you bring up uh, Foot Fist Way. And yeah, those are like, those are early movies by young filmmakers who are just getting started and everything. But boy, those movies are like live and they move yeah. and the comedy is shaped in a way mm. that it just isn't in this movie. You know? And- and I would say Hollywood Shuffle is like the Citizen Kane of those movies. So it's it's hard to say and those you don't two movies need to, in the same breath. You never need to apologize for those movies either. Yeah. You don't need to see like, okay, but this movie knows that it, it really sucks. Uh, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? No, like, that's a great Hollywood point. Hollywood Shuffle doesn't think it sucks. It that's a great point. Good. It is. So anyway, but The Lost Pastor at the same time, did I hate it? No, but I really didn't like it. So I'm going to go with a dare. Giving a dare to a $35,000 movie. I mean, that's kind of... A win in it. That's in something right there. Yeah. That's something right there. You know what, Brendan Steer? Don't listen to me. Keep plugging away. Follow your dream. Follow. Find your another dream. friend's mother. Find, yeah. You tap all your friend's mothers for cash. Friend's mother's. Fr- <laughs> <laughs> all your mother's <laughs> friends, too. Whatever. Fuck it. You make your movie, baby. That is all we have for you on this episode of Dare Daniel, but we'll be back in two weeks to review another one of your movie dares. Until then, send your most sadistic or altruistic movie dares to us at daredaniel.com. And be sure to follow Dare Daniel Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like and rate us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to those podcasts. You can go to Dare Daniel. You can also donate to our PayPal page. That helps support the show. You can read more of my movie reviews on the Dare Daniel website at daredaniel.com. Corky. Yeah. Where can people find more of your work where you are constantly, before doing comedy, explaining, listen, I know how bad this is. <laughs> you don't need to fucking tell me. Now enjoy this. Well, <laughs> I after I will be performing at the park at night, because that's where the real money is. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to be at the Sacramento Comedy Spot hosting Uncle Dan's comedy seminars where we gather all the kitties around to explain comedy timing and tropes. Listen, Aristophanes had it right, you little shits. (laughs) What the fuck do you know? (laughs) First Aristophanes reference? How did we get this far without Aristophanes? Come on. I'll be at the Sacramento Comedy Spot performing Fridays, Saturdays. Come down, take classes, have fun. 
Jane twentieth, Sacramento, California. Have fun. That sounds fun. Have fun. That sounds fun, and you don't have to apologize for it, and you don't have to explain yourself, and you don't have to do anything. You just go down, and you have fun. Yep. For the Dare Daniel podcast, I'm Daniel Barnes. Soundman Jimmy is not <laughs> making this appearance. <laughs> Keep it down, Soundman Jimmy. And I'm Corky McDonald saying, hey, if you take that sandwich out of your mouth, you might have more room for dicks, which is a line from the movie. Frankie but Burby, but awesome. I think also is good life advice. Thank you. Fucking Frankie Burby. Fuck you. We love you. <laughs>